0: welcome to this episode let's chat i'm your host chris revel coming from the cat cave in providence rhode island we have a very powerful episode for you today it's uh if you're a first-time listener this is uh in the vein of what we do here but a little bit different uh generally i have much more lighthearted episodes more pop culture driven but i absolutely am so proud of this episode and a big thanks for joe Joe is the writer. He's also an actor, but he's not in this particular film of uh, confession. It's a short film about a true story, uh, Joe's story of being molested by a priest, and it's it's awesome. It uh, sucks that it happened, but his story is incredible. Joe has such amazing insight. He, it, it it's hard. I, I want to make sure I express this well, but I, it's a beautiful short film that you could watch for free. And and just, I talked to him for an hour, and I just, what a wonderful human being. I think his gift is that he's sharing this hard-to-digest story in a digestible way. Uh, we talk about it in the episode, it's like people don't want to hear about this stuff, but it's absolutely true. It absolutely happens. Spotlight, the movie, recently kind of put the focus on this stuff of the reporters who had uncovered it. And now you could hear one of the victims of uh, survivors rather. Sorry. But I, I love the short film. I really recommend anyone watch it. Um, please check out them on, uh, the short film is on free on Vimeo. You could also find them on Twitter at confession film, Facebook cat confession star with two R's films.com and the producer, which is, uh, the company that made it is star-films.com, star with two R's. As always, you can find everything linked on our website, CoreTempsArt.com, which is our network. Uh, I have to say that Joe, his bravery is amazing. I don't, I think, you know, I, I didn't think we were going to talk so much about just his experience, but I wasn't going to stop it, and I loved hearing it, and I, I, I'm just, I'm amazing and there's a little comedy talk in there too uh he knows barry crimmins and if anyone has seen uh call me lucky i can't recommend that documentary enough and another podcast i would like to refer you to which i'm hoping joe's gonna end up on too i think that might be in the works is called the broken brain podcast with dwight hurst there's an episode uh called sex offender and pedophilia treatment with uh candace christensen and it's uh if this episode is interesting to you and you're like me, you want to know more about it. How can we stop the cycle of abuse and violence? I really recommend you check that up episode as well. Uh, I just I hope I'm doing this justice. Big thanks to Joe. He, you know he he's a survivor and he's telling his truth. And he did it in the form of a play and he did it in the form of this beautiful short film. Uh, I he's, this is like. You know, I love superhero movies and all that stuff, but like this is what like heroes do. You know, they they survive the trauma and then they turn around and they go through recovery and they want to help and prevent and, and help people. So, Joe and the entire cast and director are just phenomenal. It's a great short film. I can't recommend enough. Uh, it sounds silly to plug myself after all that, but as always, we are on uh, the Core Temp Arts Network. Core Temp Arts Network dot com you can find links for all the stuff for joe's work as well i'm on twitter at let's chat podcast instagram at let's chat podcast com slash let's Us chat blah 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 blah. more importantly listen to this episode thank you and, and it's safe to say this might be the most important podcast i think i've ever recorded and big thanks for joe for your courage and sharing your story with me I hope you enjoy. Let's get to it. Let's chat with Revel and Friends
1: is part of Quartz and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, and movie podcasts. Check out our other shows. That popped this live, talking Shondaland, we got five, and TV Ate My Brain at quartinparts.com. The now I'm
0: in the cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid. Blow up like the world train. So I know this is your film. You're the director and writer, all that stuff, too? No, like no, no. I'm
1: the I'm the writer and the producer, producer. of okay. Film Confession. My wife is actually – she's the director, Angelique Letizia. Okay. Yes. Cool.
0: And now it's based off a true story. Is this your story? I don't know if that's this, something
1: – This is my story. Okay.
0: Yeah. So yeah. i I'll give like I do. I work in the field, but not like with survivors specifically. I work in mental health, so I've mm-hmm. worked with a number of survivors. So if I get any of the language wrong or say anything wrong, just please correct me because I know it's such a sensitive subject. To...
1: No, and please and please correct me too because yeah. uh, you know it it's a very it's a tricky topic to talk about and to be um you know the emotions come. And sometimes it gets in the way of, of actually trying to talk about it and, and to really understand, you know, where people are at and how it's affected people and, you know, what can be done to make it better for people.
0: Absolutely. I mean it's um, – the culture of silence is the most dangerous thing and there's this weird part of culture that you're not, you're not supposed to talk about sex and, you know –
1: no, you're not supposed to talk about sex.
0: And that's – usually people think of that as like the enjoyment aspects of sex, but that also kind of gets led into sexual abuse, rape, and that culture, and it's it's fucking awful. I mean I guess that's the biggest key. I mean – so I, I did watch Confession. Um, beautifully done, beautifully shot, yeah. uh, powerful. It was incredible, and like from the survivors I've met, I was like – from the little bit I've known, I was like it was very relatable. Like, I was like yeah that's that's a good way I feel like I gotta show this to everyone I work with like guys
1: no I mean good I'm, and thank you I'm glad you know to hear that because that's what we wanted um, you know my that's my wife you know I met my wife actually I started uh, doing a play in 2008 call for Pete's sake and that play was um, a 75 minute kind of uh, my story about really about the mind and about how the mind of a sexual abuse, uh, survivor, how, when you keep that secret, how over time that secret really fucks with your head (laughs) and how it fucks with your outlook on life and at people and at relationships. Mm -hmm. And, and so that play that, uh, I wrote, we did in 2008 and, um, at that first reading, uh she was in the audience oh wow yeah and 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 after uh after the the reading was done and it was great and it was it was I was on stage it was me and like 13 of of my friends from acting class cuz I had all of these different characters in the play and so there was 14 actors standing on the stage and and it was the first time I shared my story in that publicly like that in front of 100 people and um you know, pretty. You know, the the play for Pete's sake has a lot of humor in it. Actually, because I know I I knew I needed to have humor in it to be able to have to tell this story and to kind of have a message in seventy five minutes that's not going to totally shut someone down and and because of the because of the content. So for Pete's sake, it had a lot of humor in it and kind of how your mind really fucks with you when you're being molested over the period of 10 years by your family priest and he's still in your life and he ends up marrying you. And because you're so scared to say anything and you, for me, I keep saying you, but for me, that was my story. And I said to myself, once I finally came clean, as I call it, when I, when I said my truth, um, I promised myself that I would make something good out of it. And that was started out with the play. And then now we're doing the movie. But, you know, going back to that play, my wife was in the audience that day. And at the end of the uh, show saying hello to people and people were very emotional. And it was like, you know, I just talked about how I was molested and, and how it affected me for 75 minutes, and then I have to, you know, you say hello to everybody, and at the end, I see this, I, at the end, I see this beautiful woman, and uh, she came with someone I knew, and he introduced me to her, and I was feeling very confident in that moment, because I was like, I just like spewed my guts out in front of these people, and I, I, I was proud of it, you know, I felt good about the work, and I felt good to tell my story, but now here is this beautiful woman, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like you know what? There's no secrets. She's seen, this is who I am. And we, we had a moment where we looked at each other and then, you know, said hello. And I was like, for me, it was love at first sight. And it's amazing that after thinking you lose everything, that the first time I put this play up or tell my story publicly, I meet someone who now I'm married to and that I'm expecting, uh, you know, a baby with.
0: Oh, Congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, and so,
1: so I don't know where. I, I'm sorry if I took you around, but I needed to kind of like. No, no. It, oh God. This in dude... terms of like my partner in this, you know, has been with me through this, and like I, it, which is great because o- over the over the course of over the course of doing the play, and then now the movie, um, that she, she's you know she's a phenomenal director, and I trusted her with the material, and. I didn't act in it. All I did was I wrote it and produced it with, you know, some other good friends, you know, our producer, Bilgin Turker and, and Stephanie Taylor and Kristen Busolaki. I mean, we, we, we wanted to make something, a 15 minute film that could take you inside the mind of a child sexual abuse survivor. And in 15 minutes pack as much into um, a story that at the end of it, that you could have discussion, dialogue, understanding, um, um, maybe a sense of help or relief for someone and, and put it out there and, and, and put it out there for anybody to see and for anybody to maybe be able to relate to or understand or understand the person that they're with, who's a sexual abuse survivor, maybe they'll, be able to understand, man, he, he he or she could get really moody sometimes or he or she, you know, uh, snaps at me or I don't know. It, it, it was it Is was an done
0: alcoholic or does a lot of uses drugs yeah. or uh, has flashbacks and you don't know why this weird trigger comes out of nowhere, <laughs> why they're so yeah. sensitive to this one subject that you can't figure out. Like everyone's going through their shit, people. Just give people a break.
1: Well, I, I, I mean, that's that's the truth. I mean, for me you know, and therapy, 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 therapy has been a oh, big Oh
0: God. Yeah. I, I love my therapist. Well, she's fine as a person, but like, I love going. It's the best.
1: It's... It's, it's just a much, much needed thing to be able to just to clear the garbage out, you know, and you're paying them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've had some therapists where I know like they were falling asleep, you know, during my, during therapy, but sometimes I'm pretty boring or sometimes I'm droning on about the same thing. You know what? Therapists have a bad day, too. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, but my my the therapists who have really worked for me have have really uh, been so vital and instrumental in 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 getting me to a point where I could actually be talking with you about this. I
0: mean, you got to put it to a theater that's in a film. Yeah. And I like not only and so you have a harder promotion aspect of it, because A, you gotta relive the whole story every time. Yes. <laughs> so like they-
1: Yeah, but you know what? When when we were doing the play, I was acting in the play. Mm-hmm. And after a while that was just like ridiculous because I was reliving the scene with my predator and where he, you know, drugs me and molests me, and we would do it in a way where you're not seeing anything. It's, it's all, you know, it's hinted at or it's, you know, just a subtle touch here or there. But doing that every night after a while, oh, it was fuck. just like, you know, this, enough, enough of that. And so that's why for the movie, uh, I was, you know, when, we, when I was doing the play, The last time we put it up in New York, uh, one of the actors in the play, Alfredo Diaz, I was in my head. I'm like thinking when I write this script, he's I I hope he I'll ask him. I hope he'll say yes. But that's who I wanted to play me. And and when I see confession and when I see him, I, you know, I see not just me. I see like anyone who's like just dealing with some shitty secret and trying to like just just figure it out.
0: Now, so your story—if anyone has seen the movie Spotlight, which is a great kind of uh, view of the cover-up of the Catholic Church—is that are you, are you is your predator a part of that Catholic Church? Like it's part of that world, that that big scandal. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, Spotlight.
1: Is... Spotlight was like to, to sit in a theater and watch Spotlight with a packed theater of like four hundred people and watch. 'Cause I knew the story well enough. I mean, my abuse, I sued the Archdiocese of Newark, New Jersey in, in two thousand five. Good for you. And I know you know, I know what it's like to go against the church and it's like the one thing is the abuse and and that, but then there is dealing with the church, which at times is far worse than the abuse I dealt with.
0: Can you dive into that? So like how did the members of your cherish and your family respond? If you're comfortable talking about that stuff.
1: Oh yeah. Um. Well, when I first, you know, when I first told my secret to my uh, ex to my my ex wife, um, I was married at the time. I was separated, and I was holding on to this secret of being abused, and um, it, my marriage was was broken up. I was my job was I was like in a dead end job, and. Emotionally, I was a mess. And I also knew that uh, my predator was, was grooming another young boy. And I had to watch that mature over a number of years. And I couldn't deny it any longer that he was going to do the same thing that he did to me. And I didn't have anything to lose. You know, my marriage was done, I was finished with my job in a sense, and I had nothing to lose. And uh, that's when I because he was still part of my family, like he was still oh around. He was still, you know, he was still part of my life. He was still part of many people's lives. So, you know, to say something like this publicly, you better, you know, you got to be ready to stand up. You better be ready to take a lot of crap. And but if it's true and in your heart, this is what happened. The right thing to do is to speak up and you stand by your words and, you know, you do hope other people will come forward. I mean, that's one of the things because the less people that come forward, the tougher you have and the, and the less um, action is taken against the predator priest. I mean, for me, it was just a total of four guys and that wasn't enough in the eyes of the church. And so he was he was able to retire And, uh, you know, full benefits, everything. And he was able to kind of retire and go live in a um, a retirement home for priests, which he wasn't supposed to be allowed to do as part of my uh, settlement agreement. But I later found out he was. And it's like you got to track him, too, because you can't trust the church to 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 uh, follow up on what's going on with 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 their uh, brothers, as they call them.
0: I mean, Spotlight really highlights that the church is just like almost a bigger institution than the government itself. Well,
1: like, they, 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 they are. They, they, they were protected because yeah.
0: they're,
1: they're a religious institution. So they were protected, you know, not just legally. They're also protected just in terms of the, you know, the reputation and the fear that people have. But that movie Spotlight has helped to kind of like break it down that they are an institution. They're like any institution. Where you have abuse of power and you have cover up, but why should they be uh, shielded from any kind of prosecution?
0: Well, they should. Now, did anyone in your church, like, were you still an active member of the church when all this was happening?
1: No, probably, no, okay. I, no, I, no, I, was, I was a very disillusioned with the Catholic Church even prior to to, to being uh, molested. Um, I always. You know, I grew up in a, a in a great middle class town, and you know everybody belonged to a church, and I lived on one block over from the Catholic church. So you know, you, 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 and and it, everybody, you know, you go to, you you go to church, you go, and I just, for me, even as a young young kid, you know, talk about trusting your gut, and that's what I say to everybody: trust your gut. I always was like, there's something wrong with this place. There's something wrong here because I felt it was built on fear because they would always just preach to us about, you know, about, you know, do the right thing out of fear of going to hell and everything was based on fear. And I was like, well, that doesn't seem really, that's not too, uh, you know, enticing like to be part of something like that. So I couldn't wait to kind of be able to do my confirmation and move on from it. But at the same time, My family was friendly with um, Father Pete, the the Catholic priest. And over time, you know, he became uh, friendly with many of the families in town.
0: And that's part of the grooming process. It's
1: part. Yeah, it's part of the grooming process. It's part of, you know, it's part of socialization. It's Mm -hmm. part of like people socializing with each other. Now, you know what? Not every priest is like Father Pete there are priests out there who you can welcome into your house and have a meal and they're not going to molest your kids. You know, there are people like that. And so that's, that's the shame of it for, for, for the good people that are, that are in this world. But for us, it was, yes, they, 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 you know, they work their way in and, and, you know, as a predator does, they have their grooming process. And for me, I was like the perfect uh, mark for him. I was, uh, um, insecure. Uh, I was, you know, in need of attention. Um, I was in my, like, kind of, I felt misunderstood by my family, but it was more because I was more, like, into arts and, and theater and music and movies, and so was Father Pete. And he kind of, like, you know, we had that, that um, common bond, and he, you know, he opened up my eyes to that world. And over time, you know it's like you become like this. I'm like, I remember thinking this guy's like my mentor. I was like, Mm -hmm. this is awesome. You know? And that little weird, that that feeling I had in my gut as like a seven or eight year old, when I first met him, like, I kind of like, remember just like feeling like I was pulling away from him because I, just my immediate reaction to him was like, there's something wrong. But over time he won me over and man, I'll tell you, you know, I, I had such great conversations with him and he, he you know, it, but in the back of my head, I always had a sense that there's something, there's something not right. This guy, you know, I'm, I can't be this great. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cause, Cause he made me feel that special. And, and then, you know, when the abuse started to happen, uh, you know, he would, uh, he would drug me, which was like, I didn't even know what the hell was going on. Cause you know, he introduced me to drinking. He introduced me to wine
0: and you're under 21. I assume. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. But it's like, and it's definitely, it's the, it's the, it's kind of the typical story that plays out now that you hear about, you know, the grooming process, you know, alcohol becomes involved or some kind of drug becomes involved because they need, you know, they need their mark to be, you know, sedated because I mean uh it's a whole other topic about mm-hmm. the sickness that these that these well, gentlemen have.
0: And the trust thing, too, because you're under 21 and someone gives you alcohol. You're like, whoa, you really trust me.
1: Oh, it's, it's no, It's great. It's cool. It's the be- it's what you want. Yes. And it's cool. And then, like, you know, and then, you know, he starts to introduce porn into the into the Like, you know, throw a porn, pornographic movie on, throw some porn on. And the thing with me is like, I always thought I never was into porn. And especially not now because of what it reminds me of. Mm
0: -hmm. But like,
1: I always just thought it was weird. (laughs) Yeah. But he was so, he was so excited by, he was like a little kid. It's another thing. He was, a lot of priests like this are very sexually immature. Yes. And they're giddy. And it's like. You know, when I started to, you know, get older into my teen years, he would always want to know like about me dating girls and if I was getting laid yet. And, you, and he would want to hear the details. And I'd always kind of like totally like like change the subject because <laughs> I because I, I was kind of sensing something was a little I just didn't feel comfortable. It's like I don't want to talk about sex with you. <laughs> you know, I'll talk about like, you know, what plays or theater, but I don't want to talk about sex with, 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 with you. And he would, you know, he would try to bring it in that direction. And I'd be like, Oh, here we go. I'm like, so it started, you know, conversations and social time started kind of, as I got older, they started to go more in that direction. And, um, you know, it wasn't until he would, after we would drink a lot, you would give me aspirin. And as you see in the movie, there's that Mm -hmm. scene, here are the aspirin. And for a long time, I thought they were aspirin. And I was like, you know, I was like, I was like, I'd wake up the next morning. I'm like, shit, those are good aspirin because I wouldn't remember anything. And I didn't have a headache.
0: And you're young. So like you're not yeah, even. So like now, now,
1: yeah. no, now we're talking like 16, 17, 18 yeah. years old. We're talking like teenager, you know, which he wasn't for me. I don't think he's, he wasn't into younger, younger mm-hmm. boys. He, he liked the, uh, the adolescent the 14 15 16 17 and then 18 for him was like his kind of like that golden ticket number because 18 is legal
0: mm-hmm. so is he uh, – ident- would you would you say he identified as homosexual um yes but but then the sexual immaturity like the psychology of predators is something I don't know enough about but I'm like to learn more about
1: I mean it it's it's one of those things where I mean I think that's the thing which I hope with the movie is that the movie will be shown and then you can have, we, you know, we can have a panel of three to four people who are experts in different parts of, you know, be it, um, be it a survivor, be it a therapist, be it, you know, mental health, uh, behavioral mm-hmm. therapist, just to so we could kind of touch upon like that, especially with the predator, uh, the sexual immaturity that in a sense has been tied to, you know, the Catholic Church and, and um, the celibacy. Mm-hmm. And these, these 17-year-old so-called men entering the seminary at that time, especially in the 60s, the 50s and the 60s, you know, P, you know Father Pete to me is a gay man who could never, you know, he couldn't be gay in the Catholic Church.
0: Crushed by guilt. Yes, yeah, and we're, we're not making a defense for this particular gentleman, but no, 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 no. It it's um, yeah, it's you know, about,
1: uh, it's about trying to understand, Chris. That's the whole thing with yeah. for me. If I can understand it, then I could at least, you know, I'm not, I, I am not making an excuse for him. I'm oh, just never. trying to understand, like, yeah. why the fuck would you do this to someone who, uh, in my eyes, I, I thought like we were like, you know, family.
0: Yeah. Well, and what the, I think the interesting for people uh, to point out is that. It's not that there's a higher rate of priests that are pedophiles. It's people who are pedophiles join the seminary because it's almost like built in for you. Like if you're a pedophile, it was a great place to hide. It,
1: it, if you were a pedophile, if you were struggling with your sexuality, um, yeah, it, it's – I mean, these are one of these things that I do not know enough about. I only know through my experience and I only know Mm -hmm. through, you know, talking to other survivors and talking to my therapists and talking to, you know, other, you know, people along the way for the past 10 years that have been, you know, talking about this. I don't, you know, I, all I know is that for him, I could specifically talk about, he was a very insecure person when it came to the way he was physically,
0: Mm -hmm. you know?
1: He, you know, and I was like a pretty 16 year old boy and blonde hair and all the other guys that he was good friends with were kind of like the same, you know, look in a sense. And he's not a very attractive guy. And he would tell me, (laughs) he would be like, you know. I put the reservation under your name tonight because if you walk in first, they'll give us a better table. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like 16, 17 years old and I'm like, huh? (laughs) Oh man. But, but I know now it's like, I understand for him where it's coming from. And, you know, but then for him, this, you know, the sickness gets into then when you put out the two aspirin for, you know, for a 17 year old, you know, boy, you want to call him man, and you tell you tell him as a 40-year-old 40, 40 man, you tell this person that these are aspirin that are going to help him get better, and what they're actually doing is that they're Dramamine, and they're, like, knocking him out. They're knocking me out so that he could then do what he wanted to do and not have to worry about me fighting him off, saying no. So... You know, over time, what I would do was after I realized that they weren't aspirin and they were they were dramming I would have to play a game with him. He would put the aspirin out and he would turn his head and I would just put the aspirin in my pocket and pretend like I took them. And then he would always make sure to ask, you know, did you take them? And I'd be like, yep, I took them. And then it was a waiting game where he would wait for me to pass out and I would have to eventually kind of like, you know, I would fake it and he would try to then, you know, he would try to molest me and I would kind of, I was so afraid to, I could, I could never confront him. So I would have to kind of like play possum or, you know, fake or roll around just a little bit to kind of scare him off. Mm. And I did that, you know, I don't know how many times I did that, but that's just about, it's kind of like, you know, it's survival.
0: Did you have any uh, dissociativeness during any of these times? Like a lot of abuse, or sorry, survivors of any sexual or physical abuse can sometimes have these scenarios where they're like outside of their bodies while it's happening. Oh,
1: habit- I, would, I would, I would watch it sometimes. Like, man, this would make for an interesting movie.
0: So you'd be outside of your body while it's happening, or yes, yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a tactic. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think we should also be clear too that like. There's not that we said this, but just in case anyone, there's a very clear difference from a homosexual and a pedophile, and this yes. gentleman sounds like a pedophile who would happen to identify as homosexual. Yeah. <laughs> um, because
1: let me let me just say this real quick, because at, in the same term, there I met a, I met a a priest, Father Mariana Gardrulo, who was a Catholic priest and he knew of father pete and he knew of the other some other people that were involved in the archdiocese of newark and now this man and he's he's a he's an incredible man when he he knew what was going on in the church and kind of at the same time when i was going through my stuff and we didn't know each other yet he came out as being gay and said said to his you know his bosses at the catholic church i'm gay and they kicked him out mm-hmm because he couldn't, he couldn't live the lie anymore because he also know, knew what was going on. And so they kick him out of the Catholic Church. Well, he becomes an Episcopal priest. And the church that he then heads up is literally across the street from where I grew up and from where my parents still lived. Oh, God. And, and when I was going through my – when I came out as being molested by a Catholic priest, Father Mariano – an Episcopal priest showed my family what, like, love is and what, you know, service is and what humanity is. And he became, like, a and he still is. He's a very, very good friend of mine. And and he's an honorable man. And he had to deal with, like, he got kicked out because he was honest about his sexuality. And (sighs) it's just kind of, it's just these interesting things that just...
0: You know, people should know. Oh, God, this is, it's so hard. It, um, did you have any family members or friends or like because when this happens, sometimes when people, good people, sadly, good people don't know how to handle it. And they almost get mad at the victim. You know, people yeah. you can see this now with uh, Bill Cosby with victim blame, uh, with the victim blaming. And yeah, right. now somehow it's your fault that their priest has been moved away, even though they did the wrong thing.
1: Oh, I, oh, for sure. I mean, it's it's like you know there are people who there's a there's a line in the play uh, for Pete's sake. There's a line about uh, you know you fucked up the family photo albums because every family will have their photo albums with a you know the, if they're a religious family they'll have some kind of priest or some kind of religious figure you know so a priest so you have a Catholic family they have they have you know their photo albums from years and years and years. And they have Catholic priests. Now think about, then I say, oh, Father Pete molested me. Now all these people have to go through their photo albums. And I've heard from many, many people, good and bad, like, oh, I had, you know, I had to throw out my wedding pictures because he married us, you know, (laughs) and some people were like, you know what, you know, good for you. And then there are some people who are disappointed because, you know, they, it, it, it takes away for them something that means a lot to them and, and, and they have such a, has a big part of their heart. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't enjoy upsetting anyone, but that's part of why I kept quiet because I didn't want to upset anybody.
0: And that goes back to the culture of silence. It's the, you had to internalize all of this pain and then you do it for everybody. And it's, I think what you guys did in confession, um, it just kind of, illustrated what a survivor is going through up until and without ruining the short film kind of gets to it has a great resolution but i it yeah
1: yeah it, no i i think in the sense in the sense that uh it just to speaking out and speaking up it's so hard it's so it's it's so hard
0: and there's not it, sadly a network of people who are like Look at Bill Cosby. There are Cosby defenders to this day. Look at the Catholic Church. Look at any time like, a woman is raped. Look at our legal system. It is just not set up for the for, for survivors.
1: Well, the legal system, and this is something that you, you, you should have on someone. Reach out to solreform.com uh, or Marcy Hamilton to talk about the statute of limitations reform that needs to be you know the, how they need to be changed across this country in terms of if someone if someone sexually assaults you or if someone assaults you, if someone drugs you, should they you know, should that window of time that someone could come forward to uh, complain? <laughs> should it be two years? should it be five years? should it be ten years? should it be 20 years? Should it just be open indefinitely? Where if you, if you did something like that to someone, 20 years ago. Should that person still be able to come forward and be like, this happened to me, prove it in court, have your day in court and then deal with it. Or, or should there be like an, right. An expiration date on these crimes.
0: And you, and it's strange because sometimes people look at, so father P and like, I'm going to say Bill Cosby, Woody Allen. These are like two of those people are, are famous. They did well, an awful thing.
1: Well, now the Woody uh-huh. Allen thing—that's that's a tough. That's still a gray area, though, for many. Yeah,
0: I don't know talking about that, but he married a stepdaughter.
1: Right. I think you focus on you focus on a Bill Cosby where you have yeah. over fifty women.
0: Yeah, a oh, Bill Cosby. A, but then, or God, for your example, Father Pete, he actually did something wrong. You live with the guilt, and then he got rewarded by being in a retirement home for priests. We'll never see a jail cell. So it's almost like these sick sociopathic people who have these. It's like,
1: well, they protect themselves. They I get mean, rewarded. Um, they get they get rewarded, but that's kind of like why you know people still need to speak out.
0: Because, that's exactly why, because we need to yeah. like,
1: yeah. yeah, And it's tough for people because after some time, it's like, all right, like especially you know with spotlight, and people are like, all right, like, can we move on to something else now? You know, can we move on to, to another topic? Because the this, this sexual abuse stuff is like, you know, it's tough it's too, to hear.
0: I, I assume you must have watched Call Me Lucky because I know... Uh,
1: uh, well, yeah.
0: That There's that great line from Barry Crimmins, which I want to ask you about how... Because he obviously is a fan of your film.
1: Oh, yes, please.
0: Um But he's like, if I can live through it, you can you can listen to it. And yeah. I, I've used that quote in my work a lot because I work um, for a behavioral health company. I work with a lot of people with mental health, so I... Had to build up like the tolerance. Yeah. You know, I can kind of hear anything nowadays and be okay, but you know, it's emotional, but there's people you can't talk about certain things and they think it's be and it, I'm not blaming people. It's no one's fault for that way. But if you can't talk about sexual abuse, you can't talk about rape. You can't talk about this. Then it's going to continue to happen. We need to be able to have a conversation, understand that it's hard to hear, but people actually go through it. And when you silence them by going, Oh, I can't talk about it. You're actually part of the problem.
1: Yeah. And, I, and that's and that's a tough thing for people to understand. But I think so I, I think we're getting there because think about in the past 10 years. I mean, from when I first, you know, spoke publicly about what happened to me to now, I'm like, you know, I, I do believe people have a greater understanding. They understand why people. You know, keep quiet for so long, that understanding is getting out there, but it's still it's like it's still needs to be talked about it still need we still need to because there are people out there who are still in denial and there are people out there that are predators and there are people out there that will abuse again and you know the more we do talk about it you reach that one person somewhere who you know has their kid in some kind of you know school or you know after school program or something and maybe somehow it clicks in you know that's a little weird or that's mm-hmm. a little strange then that's the point of it. And you know what? Yeah, it sucks to hear about it, but it's going on. So, you know, it's not going to stop. So we can't stop talking about it.
0: And anytime these things break, like the Penn State thing, I remember reading that intently, like Joe, is it Joe Paterno was the, was the coach. He was the predator.
1: No, no, no. Jerry Sandusky. Sandusky
0: was was a predator. I want to make
1: sure I get this right. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. For every Sandusky, there's a paterno. There's someone covering it up. The president, there are stories where, uh, Sandusky was showering with little boys, and and the entire community knew about it. He had gotten caught several times, and people are like, "Oh, you know, it's just whatever."
1: And it no one no no one no one wants this. You know what? No one wants this stuff to be true, because then if it is true, it could be. What it does? What it does? What it does is it it taints so much, like so many people's good memories of things,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? And it's like, that's the, like the thing with Cosby. Like I, I loved Bill Cosby. I mean, I love his humor. I loved, I, I loved his TV show. Um, I love the way he would tell a story. And then it's like, can you separate like, you know, art from someone's behavior? <laughs> and it's I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but it's kind of like, but what he's done what, as a human being you know, what he's done. I mean, that is like, it's, it's For such me, a, it's, it's such a disappointment and it's such a disappointment that it's taken this many women to come forward.
0: Oh, and it's not even the first time, So I had read about this a lot too, and it wasn't the first time. It, like it's been brought up many and many times and just, it's
1: been brought up many, many times, and, but he's oh. a, he's, he's a, listen, he's a, he's a big, he's a big, big guy to take down.
0: And has he even technically been taken down? No. I, mean, I know. I mean, and then think of all the people he's hired. So for him to want to do that, he has to have men go to the casino and pick the girls. Like, do you want to meet Bill Cosby? We don't need that, to get into this.
1: You know, that's that's when you get into kind of like obviously like the mind of a predator and like the drive yeah. and, and what feeds them and and the lengths that they'll go to to, you know, to to get what they want.
0: And they always do. Um, but so you, uh, Barry Crimmins, uh, fantastic comedian. Uh, we've had uh, Jimmy La who's a New York City-based comedian. He, uh, I think he put out a show that Barry performed at, and that's then I watched Call Me Lucky. And he, uh, I know, I think he knows Barry a little bit, but he was he was telling me about this great site I refer people to called malesurvivor.org mm-hmm. for male well, survivors.
1: Barry Barry is uh, Barry Crimmins. I. And I told him this. I didn't know who he was until I saw Call Me Lucky. Same here. And then when I saw Call Me Lucky, I tried to watch everything that he did to realize, you know, because it was like, okay, he's a survivor. But but when I when I to see I mean, he is such a smart man and he's got such balls and he's got such bravery and he's so like and, and it's one man. He he we had him when we had the first screening of confession in January, we reached out to him and we asked him and he came and he did like 15 minutes. And now he that was a tough job. He did like 15 minutes of, you know, stand up. okay, before a movie about a a guy getting molested.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. That's beautiful. Okay.
1: now now let me now that is like talk about a tough room. And but he was so gracious and I was laughing my ass off. I was in the back. I was laughing my ass off because I thought everything he was saying was funny. But the audience, you know, he had a tough time. But in the end, he wins them over because he's his message is so clear. And he's become like, you know, he's become a friend. I consider him a friend. And we've talked a few times since then and exchanged messages. And he's been such a huge Like supporter of the film and getting the film out there. I mean, this is a fifteen minute film that we're just putting out there online for free for anybody to see, you know, because we believe in the message and what it says. And he's been great about it. But to watch what he in that film and call me lucky, to watch what he did on his own, one man, to testify in front of Congress and to take AOL down in the sense to do you know, to, to pretty much like Make AOL realize to do the humane thing and to shut these you know, chat rooms that were filled with a bunch of predators and molesters and the way he takes them down and the way he it, – it, it's just everybody needs to see this. If they haven't seen Call Me Lucky, they need to see this documentary. It's on Netflix.
0: It made me cry. Just- well – it was it, so great. I loved me,
1: it. It made me cry, but it made me so inspired.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it, absolutely. Like I felt like I could change the world after I watched it.
1: Well, and and it's like that's the thing when I see some when I see that film, I'm like, here's one guy, you know, doing his thing. He's not part of any groups, any advocacy groups or anything like that. He's one guy who's doing this thing. And also, you know, he's got a job to do. He's a, he's a stand up comedian, political satirist. He's got, you know, he's got, he's got his work to do. And now this documentary has opened him to, you know, the world of advocacy and, and sexual abuse advocacy, where it's almost like this guy has been doing this for years. And he's been doing this for years on his own with no social media, with no, like, you know, Twitters and, like, you know, pictures and, and sharing this. And that's why I look at him, you know, and, you know, there are lots of great organizations out there and great advocacy groups out there and people are doing great things. But I look at someone like him, I look at someone like Barry Crimmins and I'm like, that to me is the real deal. That's what it's about. Because these organizations and these groups, what happens is they get big and they kind of, for me, they may lose sight of why they're doing what they're doing because then it becomes about raising money Becomes about uh, administration costs. It becomes about, you know, it takes away from what it should be about. And so that's why, I like, a guy like Barry for me it was like, when I saw that documentary, I'm like, that's who I admire. And that's like, gives me faith in humanity.
0: I, I just yeah, I'm, I, I love stand up I'm just thinking of Barry Crimmins doing a stand-up oh. set before your film and it's like
1: oh man there's a
0: small Venn diagram of people who would want to see your film and that at the same time and I'm oh. totally one of them like it's <laughs> it so was, brilliant
1: well there were some people there who were like it, who got it and it's I, <laughs> I'm thinking about it now and we we saw uh me my wife and Bill and the other our other producer the three of us went to see Barry do stand up at levity live and um in NyAC a couple weeks ago so we got to see him and uh see him do his thing and when he does his thing and especially what's going on with politics and his take on it you know people people need to go see him and to kind of be enlightened and you know it like be enlightened and like just be open to listening too because he may say some things that like you know are um politically incorrect but that's fine because it's good to be politically incorrect. It's... But he he does him in a way because he's very smart and he doesn't there's an intention and there's a purpose behind what he
0: says. Man I would love to get him on here, That'd be, But he's he, he's on a different level of intelligence. I'd probably just listen like uh <laughs> he, he's on he's on
1: a different level of intelligence, but he's also like just like, you know, that's I was intimidated when I first met him, but he sat me down before he went on and we had 10 minutes to talk and those 10 minutes were like, I was like, you know what? He's a, he's a real good dude. And, uh, and I, I out of this whole thing, out of making this movie, I was glad I got to meet him.
0: That's great. Um, so we'll kind of start to slow wrap it up. Um, what was the process to make a uh, confession and where could people find it?
1: Uh, confession can be found on, um, Vimeo. We're, we have the link on our Facebook page, which is, what is that, facebook.com slash confessionstarfilms. Um, but the film is called Confession, and it's pro- uh, produced by, my wife has a production company called Star Films, s-t-a-r-r-f-i-l-m-s.com, and you could find the information there. Uh, Where else could we put the information? Chris, Could we share it with you?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll put an intro in the front, and then I'll I'll put it all up. It'll be on our, our website, Cortep Arts, yeah. and then Twitter, Facebook, and I'll blast yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Blast a bit. It's,
1: it, it's 15 minutes long. It, it may be unsettling, but that's okay because what happened to me was unsettling.
0: Yeah, but you guys found a good level of getting the message across being an unsettling thing, but not unsettling enough. Like I can't watch a horror movie. I can't watch things that are scary, but I can't, I, but like for this, it was the perfect level of, I got the message, but you didn't make me cry and feel uncomfortable. And I can't sleep tonight. It was just that perfect void of,
1: we shot, we we shot it. we We shot it in six days in June of last year. And we had like this great cast and this great crew and a nice, small, tight group of people. And it was the most pleasurable experience I've had acting um, as on this, just the producer and the writer. And as part of like a film, as far as part of production, uh, everybody was there. They understood the sensitivity of the story. And it was actually a lot of fun to shoot the film.
0: Was it cathartic at all?
1: Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a scene in in that, uh, which is about the young version of me watching TV with father Pete. That scene was a very, very tough scene to watch because the way my wife directed it and set it up, it was like, it took me right back there. And, you know, Angelique directed that scene in a way. And that's when I watched for the first couple minutes on the monitor. And then I had to leave because I was like, I was like, this is too uh, strange for me. Because it was like being there. And um, and then I was also happy in the sense of like, good, because that's what I wanted. We wanted to do that. We wanted to show, you know, this is how it is. But this is how not not just clergy abuse. We know that it's 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 everywhere. And that's why in this in the movie to include a group therapy scene where we get to see different people, different types of people, we all you know, it, it, it's out there.
0: And it cuts across class. It cuts across race. It cuts across gender. Uh, one of the things that scene when you're with the the priest uh, watching TV and he gives you the aspirin. Uh, God, that scene it felt real and so like innocent and you know and that's the yeah. truth of the nature. And I think that like the way that Call Me Lunky and the work Barry did, people could see this and kind of get the idea. People who have kids or just. You know, just keep your eyes open, see something, say something, and to teach our kids I mean, it just it's I don't know. It's it's tough that we have to put so much of the responsibility on the survivors to speak up. I wish we had more and it's great that there's people like you and your wife and you're making stuff like this to advocate for the voiceless. I, I really just respect what you guys did. I absolutely loved it.
1: Thank you. I mean there's there's a great community of people out out on the web. Right. Because that's how we are reaching out now. There's a great community of people out there, survivors and mental health experts and advocates that are out there that, you know, can help. And, you know, that's the point of the movie is to help. And uh, there are people out there. There are good, good people out there doing some great work. So
0: there's a. Um, pre- oh, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, no. I just I just appreciate the opportunity to, to, to be able to talk with you about it.
0: There's a great podcast by my good buddy Dwight Hurst. He has the Broken Brain podcast for you and anyone listening. But he just did a recent episode with Candace Christensen called Sex Offender and Pedophilia Treatment. And it was really interesting because part of the core problem is that there's – our society doesn't accept the problem. And we don't offer any help until there's survivors. Like there's no preventative stuff. And, and I, I just have to everyone should listen to that. It will really rechange mm. what the work that they're doing of like, you know, Barry says in that documentary, Call Me Lucky, there's no saying that if he wasn't um, raped one more time, he wouldn't have repeated the cycle. Uh it fascinating episode of that podcast. And it, it you know, it's it's not about protecting predators, but there's a moral question because there are people who, the way the law is set up, if you are having feelings of like you wanted to view child pornography, there's nowhere to go to get help until you've been arrested for it. And if we could stop someone in the process, that would stop the cycle of, of abuse immensely. That's, I'll get off my soapbox, but it's really just a beautiful podcast. I wish it's fascinating.
1: No, that's 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 a good perspective because you know what, the more we do understand about the different perspectives and the different, you know, where people are coming from, it, you know, I, it's just it's just a chance to be human to each other and to like, you know, understand each other. And yes, there are bad people and there are good people, but yeah. the bad, you know, but the bad people are bad for a reason. And yep. Maybe we could figure that
0: out. And there's some people are just like they say, you know, Batman. Some men just want to watch the world burn. And there are some people who have traumatic experiences and aren't able to get the help. And then it affects – it bleeds out just terrible. Um, what was the I had one last thing. Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> well, thank you uh, so much
1: for doing this. Thanks again for the opportunity. And if there's anybody out there that, you know – they need help. There's help out there. And uh, please say something. Don't hold it in.
0: Exactly. Well, have a good uh, rest of your night, and uh, uh, take, I'll, 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 I'll be in touch, let you know when it goes up, and I'll promote the heck out of it.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Have a good night. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Did you know that listening to Let's Chat with Revelin Friends can improve your memory, problem-solving skills, and ward off Alzheimer's? Hello, everyone. This is Dwight Hurst from the Broken Brain Podcast. It's a weekly podcast about mental health, psychology, and psychotherapy. And unlike the spurious claims I just made about listening to this show, we actually try to talk about things that are researched and just true. If you believed the things I just said about Let's Chat with Revelin Friends, it
0: probably would come
1: true. That's called the placebo effect. My own experience has been that when I talk to Chris or listen to his show i always walk away feeling like a little bit better a little bit smarter and like the world is a little bit better
0: place to be anecdotal evidence that all my claims are true so tuck yourself in and sit on back and listen to a great episode right now of let's chat with revel and friends take it away chris